Section 16 of Liljekrona's Home by Selma Lagerlöf Translated from the Swedish by Anna Barwell This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Reading by Lars Rolander Liljekrona's Home by Selma Lagerlöf Section 16 Chapter 16 The Rest Stone A few days after the great upstir, Maya Lisa was out at the usual time, walking with little maid along the road. This evening she was not walking along with dragging footsteps, depressed in mind and weak in body, for instead of only one there were two to call out to Echo, two to dig for Mika in the sandpit, two to dam up the brook, and two to gather anemones in the copse. She had not quite heart enough yet to tease the owl, though, so she left Little Maid at the big birch tree and went on alone up the reststone hill. The bird must have been more sociable than usual that day, for Little Maid did not join her again at the haunted wall, nor afterwards either. When Maya Lisa had come far enough to see the reststone, she suddenly stopped, for there sat a man, not in the narrow hollowed-out seat, but right on the top of the stone itself. His back was bent, and his chin propped in his hands. His eyes, however, were not fixed on the ground, but were looking away up into the tree-tops. He was busy whistling to a thrush perched on a tall pine across the road and he answered it and gave it back note for note until it sang as though its throat would burst. So intent were they on their game, both man and bird, that they never heard her coming. She stood still for a moment listening and looking at him with amazement. When she had met him before, he must most certainly have been weighed down with sorrow. Never until that evening had she thought that he could not be more than twenty-five years old. Now he looked like a very boy. She was so astonished at this that she could not refrain from a merry laugh. He turned his head to one side to listen, and looked at the same time towards another treetop, as if he thought the sound was coming from there. Then Maya Lisa laughed again, and now he heard what it was. Down he jumped from the stone, and with eager steps came to meet her. He had just been waiting for her, he said. He had been to her friend Britta in Lubin to ask her how he could manage to see Mamsel Maya Lisa by herself, and Britta had told him that she was in the habit of coming here to the reststone every evening. Her heart began to beat very fast, as if it expected some great happiness. Dear, dear, how could it be so foolish? It might have known by now that he had come on no pleasant business. No doubt he was going to speak about his brother, probably repeat his sister-in-law's proposal under more favorable circumstances. And it was as she thought. He led her with some ceremony to the reststone and helped her up where he had been sitting, whilst he himself remained standing on the path. Then he began to ask her very seriously if it was really fact that she did not care for his brother. And here again, as in Svanskog, she did not know why she felt at once 
both touched and angry, nor why her anger won the day, so that she answered very sharply that she did not understand why he troubled to ask. Surely he did not imagine that she could not be in his brother's company a couple of hours without falling in love with him. He did not seem in the least put out by her annoyance. It was incredible that just before he had been sitting there whistling to a thrush, for now he seemed as serious as if he had some important business on hand, and had thought beforehand of every word he meant to say. No doubt he looked like that when he was selling iron or striking a bargain with the coal-drivers. He begged her not to think him impertinent, but he had asked because he must know if her heart was free before he went any further. She was seized with an irresistible desire to tease him and break down his air of certainty. "'It isn't a foregone conclusion,' she interrupted, "'that my heart is free because I do not care for Pastor Liljekrona. There may be others.' He bowed a little scornfully. "'That is all right,' he said. "'And if there is the least prospect that the one whom Mamsel Maya Lisa is thinking of is likely to come and claim her hand, I will not go on.' The hot blood rushed to her cheeks, but she looked straight into his sorrowful eyes as she answered. "'No, there is not the least prospect. In that case I would like to ask Mamsel Maya Lisa for advice.' he said, as he took from his notebook a sealed and folded letter, which he held so that she could not see the address. Would Mamsel Maya Lisa advise me to post this, or tear it up? Maya Lisa made no answer. She could not help thinking of the morning when he jumped down into the fox-pit. Then it was a blow here, a blow there, and all done in the twinkling of an eye. Why can't he jump quickly and strike his blow so that I may know what he means? What is the reason of all this ceremony? This letter, Mamsel Maya Lisa, he continued, and his voice grew, if possibly, still colder and more businesslike than before, is written by a young man who a few years back stood at the grave of his heart's love and vowed to go through life alone for her dear sake. Since then the young man has never thought for a moment of breaking his vow. Indeed, he has never even felt the slightest temptation to do so. He has left his heart in the loved one's grave, and it cannot live again. But, Mamsel Maya Lisa, a few months ago this young man found a poor child, sitting lonely and desolate. In her eyes he read the mingled gentleness and humility of her heart and was even more astounded by her strange likeness to his lost love. He felt at once the greatest sympathy, and seemed to hear the voice of her whom he had lost, whispering that he must help in her loneliness the young girl who was her very image. The young man tried to bring her into union with the noblest man he knew, his own brother. He saw them meet, saw them sit together on the same hearth, so visions of the greatest happiness for them both. When these visions were destroyed by the most unhappy circumstances, his brother was first thrown into the most terrible misery, and in the attempt that was made to save him, the young girl was brought without any fault of hers into a position of the greatest difficulty. 
Every day now the young man seemed to hear the voice of his lost love calling to him from the grave, at least to offer the major share in his home, where he would try with the tenderest care to secure her happiness, and where she would be safely guarded from the cruel hand that now oppressed her. Under these circumstances, dearest Mamsell Maya Lisa, the young man wrote this letter. He meant to send it off this morning, but then he hesitated. He felt, Mamsell Maya Lisa, he must first hear your opinion. He stopped, and with his last word laid the letter down upon her lap, so that she could read the address. To the learned and reverend assistant pastor, Herr Erik Lucelius. Never, no, never in all her life had Mamsell Maya Lisa felt so humiliated. When he had done what she never expected, when he had asked for her hand, to think he had done it in this fashion, simply because he was sorry for her. Her first impulse was to jump up, tear the letter into fragments, and throw them in his face. She was more angry with him than she had been with her father when he married Raklitz, and the thought flashed through her mind. I am evidently made so that I cannot be really angry except with those I love. But Maya Lisa had gone through much since the day when she had flared up at her father and his wife, and could now restrain herself in quite another way. She only slipped down from the stone, let the letter fall to the ground, and began to go down the hill without a word. And she walked on a good way right up to the stone wall, without anyone following her, and as she walked she noticed what a beautiful evening it was. The birds were singing in the trees, the midges dancing in the breeze, the sunbeams playing on the fresh young leaves, the streams rippling and murmuring beside the path whilst plants and grass were sprouting on every hand. So gay and green that she almost thought she could hear them growing. But all this only seemed to increase her wrath. Surely he might have understood that on such an evening he ought to come in the right way, if he was coming at all. If only he had had the sense to let it alone she would have been less unhappy just walking and thinking of him. He might have had the sense, too, to find out how things were with her before he put this shame upon her. If he had known that she was reconciled with her father, and that her stepmother had run away the very day that he and Frubiata Lilikruna had come to Lövdala, run away without a word and never come back again, Perhaps he might have spared his pity. But in any case it would have made no difference. If she had been in the greatest distress, she would have been just as angry with him for asking her to marry out of pity only. She would not have been so angry with anyone else, not even with his brother, if he had done the same. Suddenly she stopped. Why was she so angry with him? The answer came like a revelation, surely, because she loved him. Yes, oh yes, this then was love. She had read of it in her books, sung of it in her songs, 
but never before had she felt it in her own heart. No doubt it had lain smouldering a tiny spark within her soul all the spring, but she had not recognized it. Now love shot through her like a consuming fire, until she almost wondered that its brightness did not shine through and around her. She turned round. Everything was so changed in a moment. Love burnt in her heart, and since that miracle had happened, she was no longer the same. She could not keep her anger against the man who had taught her what love was. He had followed her and was close behind, so that as she turned quickly she found herself face to face with him. Surely such a fire as that within her must be infectious. Its reflection flamed in his eyes, or was that perhaps not reflection only? It almost seemed too bright. She was still so inexperienced, but the vehemence with which he pressed her to his bosom seemed to her of the same nature as the longing that drove her there. Her astonishment was so great that she scarcely knew if she dared to trust her senses. But the words that he uttered in broken sentences, these eager questions if she loved him, this breathless confession that he had loved her from the very first but had been ashamed of his weakness, this angry remorse that he had tried to deceive himself and run away from his love, this defiant speech that he troubled neither about the living nor the dead, if only she loved him, could these come from a heart not burning for her with the same fire that, for his sake, was consuming her own chapter seventeen the water spirits in lövdala filak stood in the porch barking and howling all night long little maid had never heard him do the like before and not a wink could she sleep no doubt mamsell maya lisa was lying awake too much as she needed a good night's rest whilst she was so delicate. Little Maid felt she must try to quiet the dog, so she threw on her skirt and jacket and slipped through the kitchen into the hall. Before she had managed to turn all the locks and pull back the bolts on the front door, the dog had stopped, but she went out all the same to coax him in. It was strange she could not see him. She was certain he had been in the porch all night. But now, when she had had the trouble of getting up, of course he was gone. She went right out to the steps and called and called, but there was not a sign of him anywhere. It was a beautiful night. The sky was covered with tiny white clouds lying in rest and circles, as though they were playing some graceful games when nobody was looking. The sun had not yet managed to climb up above the mountain, but for all that it was broad daylight. It was not the least chilly, but so soft and mild that she did not feel cold, although she had come out with bare feet. The row of six great rowans standing before the dairy, with their intermingling branches, looking like a green wall, were in full bloom. The great clusters of white blossom brightened up the green background 
like stars shining in their beauty on the darkness of a wintry sky perhaps it was only in contrast to the fresh green of the early spring but little maid thought the houses round about looked one and all so old and dilapidated she looked at the loft over the stable at the semicircular windows of the dairy peeping out from under the blackened thatch and at the crooked brewhouse door it all looked so sad in the beautiful spring night as though it were sighing over its age she looked at the men's house with its stone foundations and at the barn standing on its wooden posts at the many gates now all closed and fastened and at the long rows of fences they were so old that they all hung awry and leant this way and that the roof beams were bent the walls grey with green moss growing in their crannies it was the first time that little maid had thought that the house with all belonging to it was old and needed repair or even building afresh but such thoughts only come in the spring when trees bushes and fields are all decked out in their fresh green garments perhaps for houses too there is something corresponding to winter and spring although they may not follow in such quick succession as for trees and bushes it would be spring for a house when young people came to it pulled down all that was old and built it up anew and winter when the young folk grew old and what they had built was worn out and longing for fresh young strength to pull down once more and put up afresh it was strange thought little maid that such ideas should come into her mind but then the night was strange too so warm and close and full of mystery she almost felt afraid and was going to hurry in when she remembered the dog again as she looked round on all sides to find out where he had got to she thought she saw something moving on the grass plot under the rowan trees now little maid had lived in the depths of the dark forest and gone errands for her mother both early and late but she had never either seen nor expected to see anything out of the ordinary mother had always said she need not be afraid she was not the kind to meet either ghosts or troll all the same she saw something remarkable now without a shadow of doubt she was a little taken aback but not so easily frightened as that besides there was nothing to be afraid of only some little people dancing there were just two a gentleman and lady both about as tall as a six-year-old child but very slim and delicately made they were both dressed as nobles of the highest rank in black velvet with lace and gold braid the gentleman had a three-cornered hat a sword at his side a silk-embroidered coat and buckles on his shoes the lady wore very full short skirts red stockings a large hat with feathers and carried a fan in her hand they did nothing but dance he took her hand and with uplifted arms they tripped forward a little way 
then turned and tripped back again. They parted, then met again, bowed, and last of all threw their arms round each other and waltzed in a circle. Little Maid was absolutely certain that it was the most beautiful sight she had ever seen. How pleasant it was to watch them as they simply flew over the grass. No human beings could dance like that, but these dancers seemed light as air itself. Their faces looked like the finest china, and they had tiny hands and feet. How sweet and delicate they were, to be sure. She really could not tear herself away as long as they kept on dancing, so there she stood, wondering why they were so gay and dancing so merrily just on that night. Well, perhaps it was not so much to be wondered at. No doubt they were the good tomtes of Lövdala, and were delighted that things had gone back to the good old ways since Raklitz had run away. When Little Maid saw the dance, she was more than ever inclined to believe the truth of what Longbengt had said. He was the last to see Raklitz. He had met her late on Saturday evening down in the Black Lake Meadows. She was looking very wild, just as she had done when he had first seen her, and he insisted, indeed said he would swear in any court of law that he had seen her go down into the waters of the Black Lake Brook. Perhaps then the good little people were glad that the cruel, deceitful water spirit had lost her power over Lödala. What masters of dancing they were, to be sure. Why did other people lie sleeping in the light nights instead of dancing on the green grass? Why were other folk not so gay and happy? Why oppressed with so many cares that they could not forget? Little Maid heard a dull thud in the house as of something heavy falling, and ran back into the hall. There she stood listening, but could hear nothing more. Still she was certain the noise had come from the west room, where the pastor used to sit. She hurried with all the speed she could to the pastor's daughter, and begged her to get up, for the pastor was certainly not well. Mamsel Maya Lisa hastily threw on some clothes as she asked Little Maid what had happened. Little Maid hurriedly told her how she had been standing watching the two dancers when she had heard a heavy fall. The pastor's daughter turned deathly pale. Those two never come except when Lövdala is to have a new master, she said, but I do not think anyone has ever seen them dancing before. She had only managed to get on one shoe, but she left off dressing and hurried to the west room. There lay the pastor motionless, full length upon the floor. "'What is it, dear father, what is it?' said the pastor's daughter, as she bent down over him. In a second she looked up to little maid, who had come with her. "'Dear father is dead,' she said. We must say our thanks to him now. It may be he is not too far away to hear us. She kissed his hand very tenderly and whispered a few words into his ear. Then Little Maid had to kiss his hand too. Then the pastor's daughter got up and looked round 
as if to see what had happened at the last. He had been sitting at his writing, for his pen was still wet. No doubt he had felt ill whilst he was working, and when he had risen to go to the bell and call for help, he had fallen to the ground. His sermon lay on the table, half-written, and the last lines of trembling, broken characters straggled across the page. The pastor's daughter read them in a low voice. When the laborer's task is ended, he longs for rest and rejoices that a better man is to take his place. And the tears came pouring from her eyes as she said, I know now why they were dancing for dear father. They knew he longed to go. They knew he wanted to be free. End of section 16 Read by Lars Rolander